Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Bree Sedano learned to trade stock options while working as a director at a Boys and Girls Club. This part-time hobby inspired Bree to become a certified financial advisor. As she grew her advising practice, Bree realized most of her clients struggled with run-of-the-mill issues like credit card debt, student loans, and feeling perpetually broke. In response, Bree founded Sheep to Shark, where she coaches women on how to take control of their money and find freedom in the process. Bree, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about kind of your journey and, and some money tips at the end, but um, let's start uh, with you. Tell us a little bit about you and tell us about your background. Sure. So after college, I worked at a local, my local boys and girls club for about a decade. And at some point, I was the team director and I was, as a professional, reading episodes, well, not episodes, but like the Twilight novels and I was playing Wii. Um, and so I loved that job. I felt like I made, was making an impact with the kids, and um, but I was hardly making any money. And so I taught myself how to trade stock options to supplement my income, which I don't suggest or teach to my clients because it's a super stressful. Um, well, for me, it was super stressful. <laughs> Some people uh, can just rock on with, with all of that. Uh, and as time went on, there was another, like I kind of just outgrown outgrown the, the job, the position, the, the entire thing. And so one day I was just stressed and I was whining to my mom and she was like, well, you already know how to trade stock options. Why don't you go and like get your series seven and be a financial advisor? And this, this tracked because like my mom worked on wall street. My dad was in insurance. My grand, like my grandfather sold stocks and bonds. And then like, I have uncles that do. So like, it was just a, like a family, like a, like a family trade. And so I, I did that and I went and I got a job the local, you know, like a brokerage firm. And I got my seven and my 66 and all my insurance licenses. And that's when I started really taking clients and I was working with clients and they were coming to see me saying things like, well, Bray, you know, this credit card debt is from my first marriage or I'm still paying on my student loans and my kids are about to go to college. And, uh, you know, I make a couple hundred thousand dollars and I have like $22 in my bank account, kind of like what's wrong with me. And so I started really kind of looking at like, well, why are these smart, successful people having so many challenges with their money? Like what's going on here? And so I started working with my clients on like budgets, like really sexy spreadsheets, like really <laughs> like, like I, the, I think you might be the first person that has ever said the words sexy spreadsheets together, no, at least on no, this podcast. Sanjay, definitely not. There, <laughs> There's an entire segment of the world who is into spreadsheets. I'll tell you. And they, they're my people. I know them. They're like, yeah. yeah, show me a sexy spreadsheet. And so we were working with, with budgets and I would be so into, I'd be thrilled typing them out. And then my clients, like they'd come back to my office six weeks later, we were going to do a checkup. And I'd be like, how did it go? 
How was it with your budget? I'd be like, I didn't really do it. <laughs> no, we didn't. Um, I read the, I read it and I didn't do any of the things. And so then I started working with clients on habits and then we started working on mindset and then, then we started working on emotions that come in with our money. And then at this point, at this point in my journey, like I was up before the sun, you know, reading the stock reports and doing everything that it needed to take to like be a good finance, like investment advisor. But then I was just falling in love with cash flow and just like the human, the human side of it. And so I left my book of business to my partner and um, I started Shoot to Shark a few years ago. And then that's, that's kind of how it started. Yeah. So wh when you were getting that degree, what was your kind of vision as to what you were going to do afterwards? What, what kind of job were you thinking? You know, I don't necessarily know that I had a, a, had a super good plan. I think when I was, when I started college, it was like this idea that you would just go and do the things that interested you most. And so I took a lot of classes on urban studies and I liked a lot of like political science type stuff and uh, international things. And then I finished college and I was working at a boys and girls club and yeah, uh, that, I don't know. Then we changed and, and it, it, it all tracks. It works. Um, now, now when you're looking back, obviously, it, you know, all the pieces kind of fit into place, but probably when you were at that place, it maybe yeah. didn't make sense. Maybe it did. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't make yeah. any sense. I didn't <laughs> really have a good plan. Like I remember my dad asking me kind of like, well, all right, so look at if we, because when I started college, I was going for a management major. Yeah. And if you know me that you would know a hundred percent that that is, that is not a good, that's not a good fit. I do not like to manage things. I do not like it. even like when we hire people, somebody else generally manages them. Like I have leadership qualities to lead people, but not to like manage. The day-to-day -day management part Very of it. Very stressful yeah. for me. Yeah. So, so let me ask you about your history then and, and like your family history. Is there entrepreneurship um, in your history or in the family's history? Like, do you have any entrepreneurs in the family? No, not really. Not when you say it like that. No, but there was a lot, like a lot of my family was in finance and those are tip, you know, those are commission-based jobs. So there was a lot of commission-based work, which is right. like kind of the in-between between like that salary work and entrepreneurs, but like, like my dad sold insurance and he worked on commission. And, um, so there was, yeah. And my mom, when she was on wall street, she was there for a few years. She didn't, you know, she didn't do a full career there, but that commission-based work is, that was pretty that, common. That 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 hustle that you need to be an entrepreneur and and kind of get the sale closed and and done. Um, so okay, so then you're, you're working your job, uh, you've got these clients, and then at some point you realize like, yeah, you know what, I want to do this on my own. Like, what was that? What was that aha moment? What was that thing that tipped you over and said like, you know what, I I need to put my own shingle out and and do this on my own directly. So it was a couple of things. It was that I was really stretched thin. So to be good at, at the things that I do in Sheep the Shark and to also be good at investment advising are very two really very different skill sets and two different levels of research, right? So like if I was researching what stocks and bonds and mutual funds to sell you, I'd be reading the, you know, the research reports and seeing how the business was doing and uh, like, you know, looking at the charts and things like that. And when I'm, when I'm doing the work that I do in Sheep to Shark, it's, very much understanding the psychology and the human and the holistic and like the ways that our psychology impacts our behaviors. And like, they're two, they're two really different things. And so I did it for a while. And then like, I was just tired. Like I was just like, Oh, like it was just a lot. 
because it was, yeah. it was essentially really doing two different things. And so once I started really charging for the planning and knowing that I could do it, then that was kind of, that was kind of, it. it was like, once I started getting some clients and I felt like, I felt like I could do it, like, and, and I had some evidence that I could do it. And then it started to make sense. And, um, and then it, and then, and so then I went out on my own. Yeah. So, uh, so now what you're doing is, is more the planning side of it and not the kind of day-to-day stocks and bonds and recommending which ones to, to invest in. Is that, is that what you're doing? Yeah. Or? So yeah. Sheep to Shark, I create a lot of courses for people and a lot of my work. So we, we look at money in like five different ways. So like there's the strategy aspects, like what money needs to go where, like that's, that's typically when people think about money, they're like, all right, well, what do I need to do? Like, where, where does my money need to go? Like, that's the level of like budgets or, you know, systems or things. And then there's habits, you know, so you have to work on your habits. So that way your plan goes. Cause if you have a plan, but you don't literally do it, it doesn't get done. You have to literally do it. Right. And so then we, when, then you see what gets in the way of building out those habits. And then it's, you know, then that's where we start to look at our money mindset. We start to see, all right, well, what do I think about money? Um, and then we look at like the emotions that go into it. So when you put all of those things together, that's, that's kind of like the basis of the work that I do. So I have, uh, like courses and I create content. Um, and I do some high-end consulting for like for business owners, but that's really kind of the work. It's more about like you being able to expand yourself into whatever your next level is. That's really like the work that I do. I don't really sell. Well, I don't sell investments at all. It's not like, like, I don't really, I don't, I do not sell investments. I do not sell insurance. I don't sell anything like that. It's just really helping people get out of their own way in the relationship with money. So um, let's, let's dive into a little bit because uh, given that you're kind of a financial planner, um, you're making this decision from moving from, you know, what some people would consider a safe job of, of, you know, working for somebody and into your own thing. Um, Like, what was that process right there for you of deciding like, okay, yeah, I can, I can make this leap. Like it it makes sense financially. You you said you had a couple of clients, you kind of proven out that, that you can do this planning work, but what was the process that you went through? Because a lot of the folks that are listening to this podcast are probably thinking the same thing of like, how do I make the jump into doing my maybe side hustle that I've been doing and making my full-time thing? Like, when do I decide to go all in? How did you take that decision and, and plan that and make sure that you were going to be okay on the other side of it? You know, so for me, I didn't have a whole separate side hustle. Like when I started doing the cash flow work, I was able to do it in my current business because it because it, they fit they fit together. Um, so that's probably a little bit different. It wasn't like I was like you know still working at the Boys and Girls Club and then selling financial planning totally on the side. It was so I was full time, you know. And I think too there was like this middle step of the commission based work, right? So like you know when I was at a Boys and you know, in the nonprofit, I had a salary, and then we I moved to commission based work which is very, very different. It's kind of like an in-between step where you then have to like become self-reliant. And so that's where I learned how to like fill my pipeline and make the calls and do the, do the uncomfortable work of like, you know, at that time selling was super uncomfortable for me. Now I love to sell. I'm I'll, like, I'll sell all day, but then it was like, Oh, am I going <laughs> to, you know, so doing that uncomfortable work. 
And so I, for me, it wasn't really like a, a full side hustle. It was just an additional service that I was offering. Right. And then, and then there were, it started to be time when I was like, like when I was stretched too thin and I was like, just like, honestly, like I would get like annoyed. Like I like, and it wasn't that my clients were annoying or anything like that. It was just like, I was, I was doing so much that I just couldn't really sustain it. And so that's when I started to really look at it. And what was it? I hired a business coach that helped me kind of put my offers and my packages together because at this time, like, um, you know, like I could sell, but I wasn't like a great salesperson and, and I knew what I wanted to offer, but I didn't have it nice and neat. It was kind of just this sloppy, weird offer. Yeah. I could help you with all of your money junk. <laughs> Hire me. Right. You know? And so for me, it was once I hired the business coach that really helped me to solidify the offer and to get my sales process kind of dialed in. And from there, that was when I started to really feel the confidence. And so, um, you know, it probably took me nine months of uncertainty and that like kind of inner conflict it, from the time that I actually really knew that I was not going to be a stockbroker forever to the time that I actually left it was probably about nine months of just wriggling in uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's zoom in. You, you made me, you reminded me of, of something when you said that you were uncomfortable at first of selling, reminded me of this episode. I don't know if you're a friends TV show fan. Um, there's an episode where Monica and Phoebe are doing a catering business and Monica has to, uh, has to ask for the bill to be paid on a catering job they're doing for uh, a wake. Uh, and she's very uncomfortable doing that. How did you get over that, that hurdle of like, you know, asking for or selling, uh, you know, deals and, and asking for money. Um, because I think a lot of people have that uncomfortableness, uh, of selling and, and how did you kind of push yourself through that, that hurdle and get to the other side of being like, yeah, I can, I can talk to anybody. I can sell to anybody now. So the, at first it was just literally learning the language, right? Like at first, like dialing in on the sales process, so that, that was, that was kind of it. So like my process is I ask people like, well, what's your frustration or challenge? You know, where kind of help them figure out what's the gap, figure out what, what it is they want. Like, what are you working toward? What do you want? And then, and then like, there's some questions and then I'll just be like, all right, well, here's the thing I have to offer and here's, here's how it goes. And here's the price. And so at first it was the language and then it was learning to be okay in the silence of letting them think about the answer. So at first I would be like over explaining and over justifying rather than just like being quiet for a minute and letting people just have their own mental process. <laughs> so learning to be quiet and in a meeting, learning to use silence to let somebody else fill the silence around what it is they want or their objections or whatever, that was, that was a big move. And then probably the really the biggest move was that I learned to be very okay with rejection. like not just a little okay. Like I'll eat a rejection sandwich all day and it will not ruin my day. Where like at first, you know, I would get a rejection. Somebody wouldn't, wouldn't want my offer, wouldn't want to talk to me, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't want my appointment or whatever that I, whatever I was selling. And I wouldn't take it personally and I would be disappointed and I would be discouraged. And like my whole like energy level would drop. And at this point, like, it's not like I love rejection, like I go looking for it, but the sensation of rejection I got very, very comfortable with. And I find it like a little exhilarating, to be honest. And so like learning 
for me, learning to just really like be okay with the rejection sandwich is, is, was really like the main thing. So like if I have back to back sales calls, if person one doesn't want what I have, it doesn't matter. I'm taking the same level of energy and attention to level two. Like I don't need to go back to my, you know, meditation mat and lick my wounds anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, Oh, all right. Oh, got a rejection sandwich. Okay, cool. On to the next thing. And we're just going with it. Yeah. Um, that was really the game changer where, where it stopped being about me for a long time. When I, when somebody would or wouldn't want my thing, it would be like, I would make it, my ego would make it about me. It's like, and now I'm like, well, here you have this problem. I have this solution. Is it the right solution? Yes or no? Okay, cool. It's not about me or my offer. It's like you and your choices. And that put a, moved the pressure off of me, you know, for the longest time. I'd be like, was the offer not right? Did I price it wrong? Was it too much money? Did I do a bad job on the sale? I'm like, no. <laughs> At this point, it's like, here, you have a problem. I have a solution. Do, would you like it? And if you don't, then, then it's, it's fine, but it's also not about me. It's about right. you and wherever you are, whatever commitment you want to make with your time or your money or your energy. And, yeah. and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. So let's let's uh, switch gears a little bit, um, and this is still somewhat related. Let's talk about stress. Um, I mean, it's really stressful moving from, you know, not having to worry about all of the overhead stuff because you're an employee, even though you were on commission. Um, and then now moving into your own thing and now you're having to, you know, worry about all of the things, right? Like all, all the books and the taxes and the, this and the, that and the other, how do you deal with that? How do you balance that, uh, with life? Like, are you a big exerciser? Like, like, what do you do to, to help you kind of take away some of that stress? Um, I meditate very regularly and I do, I mean, I go to the gym a few days a week and, uh, I lift weights, which for me is, is what I like. It's like the way that I like to do it. Um, and other than that, it's really just, I don't get too worked up about things. Like, um, I've kind of learned to really manage my energy in a day to day where, uh, you know, we take our time. There's, we, we get our work done. Um, and and actually, I feel that one of the things I've recently started to do that I think helps to reduce the stress is I started to really say no to a lot more than I say yes to. So we started to really streamline our, our operations and really look and evaluate like, like, so for instance, like, so I create content. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and on Facebook, I have a Facebook profile, a page, and I think two or three groups, right? So we have these... And all, you know, and then I'm on LinkedIn and we have an email list and we have like, and so when you really look at all of the things, like, all right, well, do all of, does all of this make sense? Like, are we, do I have the capacity to do all of these things well? And so like, for example, I have a LinkedIn, but I do not pay a lot of attention to LinkedIn. Why? Because it's not exactly where my clients come from. Most of my clients come from Facebook or Instagram. So I'm not putting a lot of t time and attention in. 
Could I? And if I did, would it work? Yes, but I have limited resources of time and attention. So the what I started to realize is that the level of things that are available to do and that will work, work to get more clients, get more leads, get more revenue, whatever, is infinite. There are an infinite number of things that you can do to make money that will work. They will all work if you do them. That is a lot. That is totally overwhelming. And for a long time, um, you know, like I was, I've been in masterminds and I would go and I'd write down 57 ideas and come back to my team and be like, there are 57 ideas that we should implement. And I would watch the horror <laughs> descend. And then I was like, all right, because uh, do we need to do, will, will any one of those 57 ideas work? Mm -hmm. It sure will. If I do 57 ideas and don't execute on any of them well, will that work? No. So I was like, all right, so let, let's just assume that what we're going to do is going to work and just do less better. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So in, in thinking about kind of everything that you've done here so far, um, are there any tools that you use that you absolutely could not live without now? Right. Like getting into this, you probably didn't have that many tools. And then over time you, you found these things that now are just critical to, to succeeding and continuing everything going. What, what's the biggest tool that you think? So is we use important? Trello to keep okay. the whole team organized and nice and neat. And it, um, the checklist and you can have pictures and it, that's something that my team, um, that my business really like is like part, it's probably like the backbone bone tool of the business. And, 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 and for listeners who don't know what Trello is, can you explain a little bit? Oh, well, Trello is this, uh, all right. Do you guys know the very big post-it notes, the post-it notes that are like the size of like a half a door? Well, it's kind of like that. You could put other small post-it notes on there with all of your task lists and you can assign the post-it notes to other people. So it's like one big, one, the big piece of paper, and then you just move little post-it notes around it. That's the way, that's probably the best way that I have to describe it, but it helps. You can keep your checklist. You can assign tasks. Um, you can attach files and you can put your, you know, you can attach links and all of the things. So it's just a place to really have like central organization. So it helps for like project management or for keeping tabs. And we even use it for CRM. Um, which is probably not its, its absolute best use, but um, for the size and for the level of leads that we're managing, it works for us. Um, and it's a and very customizable tool. You can attach it to your Google Docs and to your calendar and to your emails, and it pulls a lot of things in. Um, and you can get started with Trello for free. Um, you can just jump right in and there's a free version of it that you can use. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really not that expensive for the amount of functionality that it has. I think ours is like less than $50 a month. It's like, but it goes up as you add more and more people to it. Right. So. Right. Exactly. So, okay. Um, last question for you. Uh, we've been kind of talking about money this whole time, but I want to give some tips to our listeners. Like what are one or a couple of tips that you would give our listeners of things that they should think about to help them be better at managing their money? So if somebody's in business, then the number one most important thing that I think you can do for your relationship with money is to understand scarcity, what scarcity feels like in your body and how to manage yourself through scarcity. Because that is, because as an entrepreneur, you are 100% going to encounter 
moments, days, weeks where your revenue is down or your expenses are up or something happens or you need something to be able to expand and you are going to experience scarcity is going to happen. Um, and so when we don't manage ourselves well through scarcity, what ends up happening is we get like, I call it like jam hands. It's like you get scarcity on, on your hands and then you go and you touch everything and then everything turns sticky and then you have to clean everything up. And so if there was a thing that like I could go back and really learn, it would be how to sit with myself in a moment of scarcity rather than making decisions from that place and making a mess and then having to go back and clean it up. Yeah. So don't make rash decisions when things are going wrong. Yes. Yeah. I love that. That, that, is, that is great advice and a great place to end on. Bree, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This was awesome. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parikh. You can find me on Twitter at, at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparikh.com.